This is, by the way, I'll give some time um, around the church meeting today, probably after we're done with the church meeting. If you have questions on the whole COVID-19 or anything that I've just shared, uh, you'll have an opportunity uh, to ask those. Um, so, uh, first we'll go to Acts chapter 6 and then 1 Timothy chapter 5. Acts chapter 6, it's early days in the history of the new church. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, so these are the Greeks uh, or the uh, non-Jewish Christians, arose against the Hebrews, that's the Jewish Christians, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And then to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Starting with verse 3. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I'd have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. 
You know, the church has gotten a reputation uh, for the last thousand years or so as being an institution that has pressed down women or oppressed women. But actually, if you look at the first two to three hundred years after uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, women had very significant roles in the life of the church. It was only from the 300s that uh, women became increasingly constricted by the church or oppressed by the church. Uh, And actually, primarily, this was around teachings about sexual purity. You had a a number of very prominent uh, teachers in the 300s who, who basically said, sex is bad, sex is sinful, sex is evil. The only way you should have sex is if you're gonna have kids. Uh, And if you're going to have sex to have kids, don't enjoy it. Uh, And in that context, then, what became to happen, uh, what began to happen was that unmarried women were seen either as some kind of evil temptress that would try to tempt you away from your purity uh, as a man, uh, or they were like, you know, uh, unspoilt virgins, kind of like the Virgin Mary, Uh, that, you know, you shouldn't touch them because if you touch them in some way, then you'll be defiling God, you know, or defiling God's creation. And it really created this whole dynamic that was going on that actually led to the suppression of women, uh, not the release of women, but that was never God's intention. God's intention from the beginning was that men and women in Christ might fully rise up into their leadership potential, might rise up into their ministry, their gifting, their calling in Jesus Christ, what I've called their spiritual destiny to serve God and see the kingdom of God advance in the world around us. And we needed both men and women to do that job. And thankfully, uh, in the last uh, several decades, Churches around the world are, are waking up to what the Bible and even what church history has said about women uh, in the best ways. And, and really, in a, in a sense, this whole series, the, the part that I'm focusing on women, as I said, has been focused on ways that women often limit themselves, often divert themselves from their spiritual destiny uh, and fail to be part of God's kingdom advancement, fail to accomplish or achieve everything that God has for them. And I believe God has much for the women uh, in the body of Christ to accomplish. And just as we talk about men, we talk about women is absolutely essential in the body of Christ. And unfortunately, over the last 30 years, I've seen some very highly predictable behaviors emerge uh, amongst women that I've seen time and time again deflect those women from the fulfillment of their spiritual destiny. Now, so far, everybody would hopefully uh, agree with the things that I said, but one of the challenges, even in recent years, has been, what do we do with women who are not married? What do we do with women who are not married? You know, clearly then, women only have value when they get married and when they have kids, right? No, obviously, that's absolutely wrong. Uh, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't say that. But you know, if you go back even into the 1950s, there were many churches, particularly in the West, but other places around the world, who did have that attitude. 
That if you really want to accomplish all that God has for you, and you're an unmarried woman, then what you need to do is get married, have kids, and that's the way that you can accomplish all that God has for you. But actually, I would not accept that viewpoint, and I don't think that viewpoint's biblical or historical. In fact, we don't have to go back far in history to begin to see how unmarried women historically have been a vital part of the church. It's not like there's families on one side and all the unmarried people and the unmarried people, you just got to wait until you have, you know, you get married and you have a partner and then you can be useful. It's no, we're all one body. We are all one people. Whether you're married or you're not, we are all together in Christ Jesus and we all have a responsibility. And unmarried women, they are members of God's kingdom family. They have important ministries to fulfill and many good works to do. I mean, think about this small sampling, and it's a small sampling of unmarried Christian women. You have Florence Nightingale. You all know her. She's the founder of Modern Nursing. She was a Christian. She wasn't married. You have Susan B. Anthony. You might not know her unless you're an American. Uh, and if you want to take the citizenship test in the United States, you've got to know who she is. Uh, but Susan B. Anthony was a, a woman's rights and an anti-slavery campaigner in the 1800s that uh, had a major, major impact in the United States. Then you have Evangeline Corey Booth. That's uh, the daughter of William Booth. Uh, she was the first woman general of the Salvation Army. And she was not married. You have Lottie Moon, a missionary to China for over 40 years, was not married. You have Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary to India, who was an author and freed hundreds and thousands of children from both poverty and a life of prostitution. You have Corey Tem Boom, that most of us have heard of, who was an evangelist. I'd call her an evangelist. Uh, somebody that I had never heard of, until I was looking into this, is Lilius Trotter. Uh, she was an artist. She studied under the famous uh, artist John Rushkin, and she was an evangelist to Muslims in North Africa. You have Clara Barton. She was the founder of the American Red Cross. You have Flannery O'Connor, who was uh, an author, a very influential author uh, in the United States. All of these and many, many other Single women in history have had a tremendous impact in the body of Christ. They have a role in the church of Jesus Christ alongside single married men and alongside married people. Uh, we're all together in this. And so we really take a strong stand here at City Temple to affirm the value and importance of the contribution, the ministry of women. Well, you might say, okay, well, what does this have to do with anything that we read today? Because we're talking about widows and everything. You have to understand a little bit of the background here. Now, back in the day, uh, when Paul was writing in the time of the early church, uh, there were not a lot of ways for an unmarried woman to make a living. There were a few things that they could do, uh, but there were not a lot of opportunities for that. Uh, for many, the opportunity, and it was what most people did in that day, they got married. They got married quite young, uh, but life expectancy being the way it is, you have some people uh, who would get married young and then their husbands would die after a few years. Uh, and then some people who got married 
and uh, maybe their, their husbands would, would live uh, a long and fruitful life and they would die and, and leaving them an, uh, alone. But once you were widowed, there wasn't a governmental system to provide care for you. In fact, the church was very innovative in those early years by taking up a collection to care for the widows in the body of Christ. You see this happening in Acts chapter 6. And the problem was that the Jews were favoring Jewish widows a little bit more than the Greek widows. Uh, and so the, the Greek people, com the, the non-Christians, uh, no, the non-Hebrews, the non-Jewish Christians complained and said, wait, you know, our widows aren't being taken care of right. And so they said, okay, we can't administrate this. We're apostles. We're leaders here. We can't administrate this. We need to get a team of people to administrate this uh, and to solve that problem. By the time that Paul's writing to Timothy, this practice had gone around the Christian world so that churches all around the world were caring for widows and orphans. It was one of the, the primary things, the primary ministries that they did. Now, this sounds like it might be a bit sexist. I mean, because it is focusing on widows here, uh, not widowers, not, not the men. Why not the men? Because if you're a man, you'd go out and you'd get a job or you'd have a job. You know, it wouldn't really affect your livelihood. But actually, this whole approach was quite liberating for women. Because it gave women a safety net that society as a whole did not give them. And the whole purpose was, especially as they were older, that they could really devote themselves uh, to a life of holiness uh, with the Church of Jesus Christ. Uh, and even if they were younger, it was to, to make sure that they wouldn't have to go out on the streets and either beg or prostitute themselves, which were the two primary ways that a woman who did not have relatives around her could earn a living. Neither of which, obviously, was very acceptable for the Church of Jesus Christ. So in this, kind of, in this context, Paul is talking about uh, widows here. He's talking about single, unmarried women. Um, some of them were older, some of them were younger. Uh, and I think that we can begin to focus this and see some things that Paul would say to unmarried women today, whether they're widows or not. There's some vital principles that we can gain as we look at this passage and see the kinds of things that Paul was saying. Remembering that Paul is not being sexist here. He's not putting women down. He is seeking to liberate women so that they can fulfill their calling and destiny in the church of Jesus Christ so that they can be part of God's kingdom advance. And if we don't understand that, we're going to miss something of what Paul says. So let's dive into this a bit. And as we dive into it, I think that there are four overarching principles that apply to us together as the body of Christ. I won't spend a lot of time on these, but I want to hit them very quickly. I think, first of all, we have a responsibility as the body of Christ, as the church, to help other people. Most of us would agree with that. But we have a responsibility to help others based on careful observation and assessment. Based on careful observation and assessment. What Paul says, honor widows who are truly widows. How do you know that? Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age. 
having been the wife of a husband, having a reputation for good works, if she's brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the feet of the saints, cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. So Paul is saying here, when you got to help these people, but assess their situation. Make sure that you're not just scattering money willy-nilly to just anybody, but make sure that the people that you're helping are genuinely in need of help. The second thing Paul is saying here is that we have a responsibility to help our relatives, which is pleasing to God. We have a responsibility. One of the great things that I know about uh, a couple of our guys from Myanmar, as well as other places here, is that a lot of people in this country send money back to their families in their home countries to help support and care for them. Do you know that that's a godly thing? That is something that God is pleased with and honors God. In fact, you know, he says, Paul says here, uh, verse 4, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household to make some return to the parents. Uh, verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, that means your, your immediate family, if you're not providing for them, you're denied the faith and worse than an unbeliever. So it's important for us to help our relatives, to help those uh, that are part of our household. Well, it's one of the things I honor about my mom, how much she did that when she was alive. Very quietly, uh, she would help many other people, relatives and close friends she had when she was growing up. The third principle here is that we each have a responsibility to set our hope on God for our provision, not any human agency. Uh, he said the widows were those that were continuing in prayer and supplication night and day. And this kind of prayer is an indicator of this. The widow wasn't looking to other people to help her out. She was looking to the Lord. And that's the force of what Paul is saying here. You know, we need to look to the Lord. If you're depending on the government of the United Kingdom for your old age, let me tell you, the government of the United Kingdom is going to disappoint you. We've got to look to the Lord, and God is our provider. Um, she who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God, and continues in supplications and prayers night and day, verse 5. And then the final point, down toward the end of it, is the church corporately needs the freedom to care for those truly in need. Our role, our job as a church, is to care for those who are truly in need, not just those who have some apparent need. And that takes some time and some patience. Uh, and sometimes it's very difficult. It's a lot easier to toss a pound in a cup as you walk along the pavement than it is to pay attention to the people around you and say, how can I help the people around me in the body of Christ? And one of the things I love about our church is that we have people all the time in this church helping one another. They don't make a big deal of it. Uh, they don't announce it, but I've seen it time after time after time, over more than a decade now, how people are reaching out and seeking to bless one another. And that's very po positive. So as a church, we need to keep those, we need to keep those principles in mind for ourselves. But now let's get into women.
There, Paul in this passage lists a number of behaviors that will deflect women from their spiritual destiny, especially uh, unmarried women. He lists a number of behaviors that will deflect them from their spiritual destiny, and he also lists behaviors that will help them fulfill their spiritual destiny. So let's look at the deflecting behaviors. Uh, the first one he mentions is verse 6. It's self-indulgence. If you're self-indulgent, now what does that mean? It means that you're surrendering to your sensual desires. Uh, and this is not a sexual thing. This is not a sexual thing. It, it's the kind of context where, you know, the woman might go into a very expensive shop, not have a whole lot of money and say, oh, I like that outfit. I'm going to buy that. Uh, I'll just put it on my credit card and build up some debt. Even though they know they really shouldn't do that, they go ahead and spend money that they don't have uh, or they can't afford. It's kind of where people start pleasing their flesh or they surrender to a, a carnal form of Christianity or this desire to live in luxury, to have all the finer things in life. Now, there's nothing wrong with having good things. But if you're living to please your flesh, if you're living to indulge yourself, uh, then there's something that is amiss. And this will deflect you from your spiritual destiny. Gosh, I've seen this so many times. I'm not going to name names, uh, but nobody here would have to be afraid because I wouldn't name anybody's name here. Just look at you askance. No, I, I wouldn't even do that. I, I wouldn't do that. I just have to make sure you're paying attention. Okay, so that's, that's the first behavior. Second behavior is there in verse 11. You pursue your passions instead of pursuing Jesus. Now, there's a lot of times where we say, oh, I'm really interested in this. I'm really, I want to get into the arts. I want to get into uh, the theater. I, I, and so you go after all these passions, these things that are not inherently wrong. There's nothing you know, wrong about the arts. There's nothing wrong about theater. There's nothing wrong about any number of, of kind, these kinds of things that you might pursue. But you start pursuing those in a way where you start not pursuing Jesus. You don't give your time, your focus to Jesus Christ. And that will deflect you. Uh, the next three are in verse 13. He talks about being an idler. An idler. Now what is he talking there? He's talking about somebody who's inactive. Uh, the word means someone who's inactive, who's lazy, who is not making good use of their time, who tends to frit away time, who's being careless with their lives careless with their time, careless with their resources. This is what Paul's talking about as an idler. And if you're an idler and you allow this idling to happen in your life, it prevents you from walking into the fullness of your spiritual destiny in the Lord. Then he says, being a gossip, being a gossip. Now, gossip in this context is not just talking about other people. Uh, it's a different word slightly than that, although it might include that. But it's really where you talk a lot of nonsense or foolishness. You talk too much. You just go on and on and on. You babble about things that not are, really, are not really important to you or not really important to other people. You just talk for the sake of talking. You're, you just go around those things. That, that's a, a behavior that will deflect uh, women from their spiritual destiny. Uh, and then the, the, the next one is being a busybody. And busybodies are people who meddle in other people's lives. 
They're always talking and trying to insert themselves into the lives of others. This would be somebody who's always giving advice. You know, I, I've, known, I've known some people who just every time they're giving advice and you think you have no idea what you're talking about. And they don't, but they just give it the advice anyway. Uh, that's the kind of idea here. Uh, this is the idea where you're talking about other people. You're trying to fix other people's problems. The, the problem is that the people's problems you're trying to fix are not the people you're talking to. Uh, and the people you're talking to, in addition, they can't fix the other person's problems. So the people you're talking to are neither part of the problem nor are they part of the solution. Uh, and so if you engage in these behaviors, these behaviors always deflect you from your spiritual destiny. Always. Uh, and this is, again, it, you know, it, it is especially true of women on this, not being sexist there. Men just, we just don't tend to do this in the same way. You know, if I was talking to a group of men and trying to meddle, uh, they just look at me and say, hey, Rod, get out of my face, man. None of your business. You know, we do that to each other in kind of a gentle, manly way. But, you know, we all know what we're talking about. Uh, but these behaviors, time after time after time, um, I've seen so many women miss out on what God really wanted for them because they were doing these things. So don't do them. But then Paul also lists a number of behaviors that will actually help women fulfill or walk into, step forward in faith into their spiritual destiny. Now these behaviors are not designed by Paul to limit women. It's not Paul saying the woman's place is in the home. Like was so often said back in the 1950s. That's not in Paul's mind here. That is not what Paul is saying here. And it's important that we understand that. Uh, we need to also understand that these behaviors are not the fulfillment of your spiritual destiny. I remember a time when I said, well, women shouldn't have any kind of teaching role in the body of Christ, uh, except for teaching children. And so the idea behind that was, okay, ladies, we want you to teach the children, uh, and then we men will do the real teaching. Uh, this is not what Paul is doing here, okay? Paul is not trying to constrict or confine women to certain behaviors that are demonstrations of womanhood in the body of Christ. That is what women should be doing. That's not it at all. What Paul is essentially saying here is that as women engage in these behaviors, instead of the limiting behaviors, the ones we just talked about, if women engage in these behaviors, especially if they're not sure what their spiritual destiny or calling is in the Lord, that these behaviors will help them to step forward in faith into that destiny. In other words, as they do these things, they can step forward in faith. So what are some of these behaviors? Verse 10, showing hospitality. Showing hospitality. This is not saying that women's role is in the kitchen. Hospitality in the, in the ancient Middle East was a very important ministry. It was about making people feel welcome and safe. And it was an essential ministry of every church, uh, every family, every situation. 
and women as well as men were to show hospitality. Paul says, washing the feet of the saints. What is this about? Does this mean that women who go into their spiritual destiny should wash my feet? No, it's not what it's talking about. It's talking about serving with humility. Serving others with humility. Again, it's something that we're all called to do, right? Men and women. But especially all here saying women, serve, wash the feet of the saints, care for the afflicted, look out for those that are going through difficulties, that are going through struggles, reach out to them, help them, look after them. And then key thing here, pursue every opportunity for good works, verse 10. So if you want to walk in that spiritual calling and destiny, then go after every chance you have to do good to other people. Go after it, pursue it. And then verse 14 is very important. He talks about managing your own household. Managing your own household. He's saying you need to manage your finances. Uh, We'd say today if you have a job, You need to do your job well. Maintain your home in order. Care for yourself properly. All of these things are managing your household. And women need to manage their own household. And he says, give the adversary, give Satan, no occasion for slander. And what he's saying here, that idea of occasion, is that you give him a toehold. In other words, he's saying, if you're not watching after yourself, if you're not looking uh, after these things, what you're doing is you start to give Satan a, a foothold, a little space in your life and in the life of the church. And it's an occasion for slander. It's an occasion for, to, to curse, to insult, to attack the church and to attack people within the church. And so he's challenging women to look at your life, make sure that you give the adversary no occasion for slander. And finally, verse 16, be sure that you take care of your own relatives. And that as we engage in these activities, as women, especially unmarried women, engage in these activities, they open the door for them to step forward in faith into the fullness of their calling and destiny, which may have no connection with, at all with these activities themselves. It's not limiting your role, but it's giving you a foundation from which you can step forward into all the fullness of what God has for you. One of my passions, and it's been this way for the last almost 20 years here at City Temple, is to remove any stigma for someone to be unmarried in the body of Christ. There's no stigma. There's, it doesn't make you less of a person, doesn't make you less fulfilled, doesn't make you less important. Uh, it's not a statement of your value at all. And sadly, I've seen so many people uh, with heartache from other churches that come in because those churches have communicated that. And we want to remove that kind of stigma because we believe that all people, whether they're married or unmarried, in the life of the church can reach their calling and destiny in Jesus Christ for his glory. And that's our purpose. That's where we're going. So what do you do? What do you do about what I've just said? 
what I've just shown. Well, if you find yourself doing one of those sinful behaviors, one of those behaviors that limit the, your ability to step forward in faith, then stop doing it. Simply repent. Say, God, I'm doing that. I'm sorry. Uh, if you struggle to change, then talk to uh, uh, an older woman in the church, talk to one of the elders, and see if we can help you and pray for you to overcome those areas because we do not want you to be limited in what God has called you to do. If you are unsure then, if you're, if you're here and you say, well, I'm not exactly sure what God has called me to do. I'm not exactly sure what my spiritual destiny is then I would encourage you to start actively engaging in the, be, the second set of behaviors that will help you step forward in faith. Just start doing it. Be like Nike. Just do it. Just step forward. Just start to serve. And these are guidelines to give you some direction for that. And then for us all, we need to remember that we are all called to do good works. We're all called to devote ourselves to, do, to good works. This means that we're called to pursue them, to go after doing good. And as we go after doing good for all people, God will open up the opportunities to move forward in what he has for us. We're all called in the Lord Jesus Christ. We all have a spiritual destiny in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has stuff for all of us to do so his kingdom will go forth. And so more and more people will experience his love. May we step forward together in faith in those things. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your love for us. We love you as well. I pray, Father God, against any kind of spirit of condemnation on any person uh, either present in this room or who have heard, has heard this talk. Uh, we don't want there to be condemnation. Uh, we want there to be freedom. And we release freedom, won by Jesus Christ, into this place and onto your servants. We release freedom. Father God, I pray that you'd show us whether we're men or women, if we've engaged in these sinful activities, show us that we might repent, stop doing them, and turn away from them. And Father, for all of us, men and women together, I pray that you'd make us all more effective in doing these positive activities. Father, I pray that City Temple would be known as a church that sees the release of women into the fullness of their calling and destiny in Jesus Christ. I pray that what we've seen so many times, what I've seen so many times over the last 30 plus years, women missing the fullness of what God has for them, I pray that that would stop. Because I know that the body of Christ needs all its people, married and unmarried, serving Jesus Christ with all the passion of their being. And I thank you for them. Now, Lord, help us to worship you. And as we worship you, speak to us, guide us, lead us, 
all in the power of your Holy Spirit, to the glory and honor of Jesus, for we pray it in his name. Amen.